Well, here we go. Of all the topics I don't like to talk about, guess which one's at the top? If you guys really know me, what, what would it be, Mary, uh, my wife? What, what do I not like to talk about? <laughs> no, that is not the answer. She said to all of the Internet, she said farting. And that's the first time and the last time I will ever say that uh, on a service. Um, but no secrets, right? We've we got we to be people of integrity here. So that's what my wife said. But no, that is not what I was looking for. Uh, the answer, <laughs> I'm going to start blushing here, but the answer is money. Money, right? Money. I, I, I've shared this several times uh, with you over the years that I struggle with talking about money because I've seen how churches misuse money. Uh, mishandle money. Where did I go? I still don't get to talk about money. Hello? Woohoo. Hello? Hello? Oh, there we go. <laughs> Thanks. But most of you know, it just, I've seen the way churches misuse money, mishandle money, manipulate people to give money. You ever been a part of that one before? And so the longer I was a part of a church, I kind of the hunch that all pastors cared about was, guess what? Money. Now, that was also a teenager's over-exaggeration of it all, but that's what I experienced, and so it's not something we talk a lot about. Now, I'm not even saying that's a good thing. It's probably not, because Jesus talks a lot about money. He talks about it more than just about any other issue, and so we should talk about it as well. In fact, Pastor Tom Gore, you guys know Pastor Tom. He passed away to be with the Lord earlier this year, but he would always get on me about that. I mean, he would just look at me and he, he would just, I mean, just the conviction of the Holy Spirit. He would say this, Dan, you are doing a disservice to your church by not talking about money. Now, I did not like Tom very much when he said that to me, but I knew he was right. And so I, I guess what I'm just telling you, it's still something I'm working on uh, on a personal level. I'm still in process. But here's the great thing about preaching verse by verse. That you're just kind of tromping along, going on the trail, verse by verse. And eventually, guess what topic you're going to run into? Money. And today is that day. But before we go any further, let's pray. Lord, I I love your sense of humor. (laughs) And I love how good you are, how gracious you are to us. Even now, Lord, I'm admitting that I'm in process. And I thank you, Jesus, that you never give up on the process that you are faithful to finish the good work that you started in us. And so I just pray right now, Lord, that there would be transformational growth that would take place in each one of us in this area of money, that we would just continue to see that you want us to leverage it for your kingdom, for the advancement of the good news of Jesus Christ. Thank you for this moment, Lord. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, tablets, smartphones, whatever you got, turn them to Luke chapter 16. I'm so impressed with Jesse. Last week he did an entire chapter. Um, man, like the whole chapter 15. If, if everyone did that, we would have been done with Luke a long time ago. But not everyone can be as cool as Jesse. So here we go. <laughs> Luke 15. Uh, if you remember, uh, he was talking... Uh, about these parables, and he was preaching to the Pharisees, right? That's what Jesse told us. And there was three main parables, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And again, if you haven't heard those messages, they're incredible. Go to our podcast and make sure you watch them. 
But if you remember, at the very beginning, Jesus is hanging out. Uh, the Bible says he was hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors and sinners. And the Pharisees ridicule him for it. They just cannot believe. How could he be so generous? How could he be so forgiving and accepting where he would actually welcome and eat with sinners? And, and so, again, he gives these parables about the kingdom of God to the Pharisees. But now, chapter 16, Jesus turns to his disciples. Now, the Pharisees are still listening, but he now speaks to the disciples and he shares another parable. We're going to pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 16. Jesus tells his disciples, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and he asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. So the rich man, what's going on here? He accuses his manager. He is wasting his possessions. And he calls him out on it, right? And he says, you need to give an account because pretty much you're fired, right? You are done as manager. So we could call this a day of reckoning. It's a moment of crisis. And so now what is the manager going to do? And we're going to see that he comes up with a plan. Let's keep reading. Verse 3, the manager says to himself, what shall I do? My master's taken away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm too ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. Here's the plan. Verse 5, so he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. Manager tells him, take your bill, sit down quickly. We don't got a lot of time and make it 450. And then he asks the second, well, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat. He replies, all right, take your bill, make it 800. What is he doing there? If you have a King James version, anybody, you don't have to raise your hands on that, but maybe you got the King James version. Uh, you're going to see a little heading that those uh, translators put up there at the top of that. Uh, a passage. And what does it say? It says, this is the parable of the unjust steward. And he totally is. I mean, does anybody like this guy? I mean, I know we're supposed to love our enemies, but I mean, look at him. He's kind of weak. Like he's like, oh, I'm not strong enough to dig. And then he's kind of whiny, like I'm too ashamed to beg. And then he's kind of slimy. I mean, he's cooking the books. So as a I don't know about you. Maybe you're just a better person than me. But me, I'm like, come on, master. Zap him. Right? Get him. Do you see what he's doing? Make him pay. Is that what happens, though? No. Instead, let's read what happens. Verse 8. The master commended the dishonest manager. What? (laughs) Commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd. Everybody say shrewd. Feels weird, doesn't it? That W just gets in the way. But shrewd, say it again just for fun. <laughs> in dealing with their own kind, then are the people of light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. So I think we got to clear some things up in this passage. First thing is this. This passage is not telling you to be unjust. Uh, Other translations will call him the dishonest manager. Other translations will call him the unrighteous manager. This moral of the story 
just in case you were wondering, is not to be unjust, dishonest, or unrighteous. Not at all. Because these men, right, these two guys, they are people of the world. They are living in the flesh. The moral of the story is not to be dishonest or unjust. But there is something that Jesus wants us to learn from this story. And you know there's something Jesus wants us to learn from the story because he's calling us out. Did you catch that? As followers of God, he calls us out. He says, and if we still have it up on the screen, he says that the people of the world are more, here's the word again, they are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. He calls us out. The Greek word there used for shrewd, it just means to be things like prudent, to be wise, to be sensible. It's the same word that Jesus uses when he describes that man who's building that house on the rock. You guys remember that in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, that he's wise, he's prudent, he's sensible. And Jesus says in this department of shrewdness, the people of the world, they're winning. They are winning. And so I would say this, that Jesus, he might not be encouraging you today to be dishonest, but there seems to be some encouragement for you to be shrewd, to be shrewd. Let's push into that just a little bit further. So this manager, he's being letting go, right? He's, he's being fired. But he has a window of opportunity. It's a short window of opportunity. But here it is, right? He has this moment in time to make some decisions before he's completely cut off. And again, I just say it's a moment of crisis. It's this moment of crisis. As you read the story, he is going to decide, he's going to make a values judgment that relationships are going to be more valuable than money. More than money. Now, speaking of money, verse 9 there, when he talks about using worldly wealth, that word for wealth, if you've grown up in the church, that word for wealth is a word that you've probably heard a lot. It's the word mammon. Anyone, does that reckon, anybody recognize that word, right? Mammon. Mammon, that, that's when wealth, uh, remember, it's when wealth becomes, it almost gains like godlike status in your life where uh, wealth begins to have this power over your life where you begin to worship wealth or money. And, and you don't have to raise your hands if you've struggled with that before. But I, I can probably confidently say that we all have. But in this story, instead, and this is, I think, what Jesus wants us to hear. In this story, instead of the manager worshiping money, he realizes relationships are more important than money. He needs relationships. Again, you don't even have to approve of this guy. I mean, he's kind of wimpy, but he's like, man, I need some relationships. I need some friends. And so he values friends who can help him out now that he's lost his job. So, again, I'd say it this way. Instead of worshiping money as a god, he uses money as a tool. If you're taking notes, you might, might want to write that down. That the manager, instead of using money and worshiping money as a god, he uses money as a tool. This is so important we understand this. He now uses money. It becomes an instrument for his purposes. Now, again, we don't have to model our lives on his dishonesty. I mean, he is not a good man, but I do believe Jesus would want us to notice that in this moment of crisis, since he is about to lose everything, he is now going to use money to accomplish a greater goal. And I want you to hear what I'm about to say. Life spring. If the people of the world can do that for selfish reasons and selfish gain, And again, you don't even have to approve of what the man does. But if the world can use money as a tool to accomplish their goals, 
than as the people of God. How much more amazing, shrewd, wise, prudent, sensible should we be at using worldly wealth, not to accomplish our own selfish personal desires, but instead to accomplish the greater things of God's kingdom. That's a word for us today, church. I think it's a word that Jesus wants us as his disciples to hear because each of us is going to have a moment, whether you like it or not. Each one of us is going to have a moment like that manager where money and possessions that we thought we were protecting and we were managing, we're going to all realize that it's all going away. That it's all going away. That, that's what the coming of the kingdom of God that Jesus initiated 2,000 years ago, that's what it means for all of us because his kingdom changes everything. We say it all the time. Jesus changes everything, including what we once lived for. His kingdom, it brings with it a day of reckoning where we have to decide how I'm going to live and what I'm going to do with what I have. And we have this short window of time. It's a short window of time. We act like it's going to last forever, but it's a short window of time. And so we as believers, we got to look at the wealth that we have access to and make sure, is it serving the greater purposes of God? And this isn't condemnation on any of us or singling out any of us as an individual, but as a collective, I'm not so sure as Christians that we're so good at this. And yet we need to come to that realization that one day all of this will be gone. Our possessions, our things, our bank accounts, it's just not going to be here in the long run. Don't worship money. Right? Don't worship money. Money is a terrible God full of empty promises. And yet again, I'm speaking to myself just as much as anybody, but again, as Christians, we spend so much time occupied worshiping this God. I'm going to step on some toes here, but again, I'm speaking to myself first, but I think this happens often with the idea of retirement. With retirement, every Saturday morning, I love college football. I love college football. But there's commercial after commercial. Guess who the commercials are from? They're from retirement companies. And I'm not saying that, you know, you shouldn't save for retirement. I think saving for retirement is, guess what? Wise. It's prudent. It's sensible. But I do think we have to check our hearts in regards to retirement. Think of it this way. Is that money a God or an instrument to be used to the glory of God? Is it a God? Is it an instrument to be used to the glory of God? Remember who you are. We're Christians. You know what that means? It means we've been set free. And I want to explain that a little bit. We've been set free, meaning we don't have to worship any other gods. There are no other gods uh, that are greater than our God. There's one name above all other names. We have our love and affection, not for the gods of this world, but for God. We've been set free to worship Jesus. And so we no longer have to bow down to the God of mammon. We do not have to worship. So in freedom, we can actually use resources. That includes money and goods and possessions. We can utilize it, use it for his good, for his kingdom and his glory. And I really believe that's a word for all of us. By the way, whatever stage you're in, that's not just for older people, that's for young people. If you're a younger person here, you need to understand that your job in life 
Your great passion in life shouldn't be just to protect and manage your wealth. That's not your job. In fact, Jesus said, you're fired from that job. (laughs) And that job is over. That's not the point of life in Christ. So here we are. Got this moment of time. And we have a decision to make. What are we going to do? And I hope we can learn from the shrewd manager that we can be shrewd, that we can leverage our wealth to be used as an effective instrument to build relationships, to build and strengthen bonds, to reach into the neighborhoods, to, to get to know people, that money is not going to be our master, it's not going to be our God. No, at Lifespring, we're not going to serve money, but we will leverage it to the full. We will use money to reach as many people as possible for the kingdom of God. Now, what gets exciting is that's not the end of the passage. You keep on read and it only gets better so let's read this together verse 10 jesus says whoever can be trusted with very little you've heard this one before whoever can be trusted with very little can be trusted with much and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much verse 11 so if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth who will trust you with true riches And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Well, that got serious real quick. Anyone else want God to trust you? I want God to trust me. And I think that's not just for us as individuals. That's for us as a church. Can we, church, be trusted in handling worldly wealth? If you can't be trusted in this area, how can you be trusted with true riches? If a local church like LifeSpring can't be trusted in fully utilizing financial resources to advance the kingdom of God, how can we be trusted with the true riches of God's kingdom? I was thinking about it. Sometimes leaders of the church, pastors, elders, council members, I don't know if we do this intentionally, but we can begin to put money up on a pedestal. And we can set things like buildings up on a pedestal. Kind of thinking that, you know, that's the point of it all. Or like, you know, the point of church is just to make sure we're making budget every month. Like, that's the point of church, to make sure you made budget. Church, I've seen this happen in churches that are literally dying, spiritually dying, but they pretend everything is okay because, well, you know what? We're still making budget. Things are not okay. Church, money, it is so temporary. It has this lure. It does. I mean, let's be honest. It has this attraction. It's so tempting. It has this, this shiny object, right? It looks like it's something that's going to fulfill and to satisfy. It's so tempting, even as a church, to set it up as a God to serve and to worship. But ultimately, every time it's going to fail you as a God. And I'll tell you, churches that put their trust in a building or in finances or anything else other than God, you will always, every single time, fall short of God's plans and design and destiny for your church because even this and i love this but this is going to crumble one day church it's going to be dirt it's going to fall away this building as much as you love it is not going to last forever the house or the apartment that you live in and i know you love it and you got that plant that you love and yeah i mean 
I get it. It's special. Grandma gave it to you. It has meaning. But <laughs> sorry to break it to you. That plant one day is going to die. And you are not going to live forever. We think we are like on the earth. Like I'm not talking like, you know, with the Lord. But like we act like this thing is going forever. Like I hate to break it to you. But someone else is going to move into your house. One way or the other. <laughs> And so what do we do? Well, then we utilize that which won't last forever. We utilize it. We use it. We leverage it for things that what? Are eternal. For the kingdom. That's what I love, by the way, about this movement of churches renting from other churches. Because so many church buildings, by the way, I didn't know if you knew this, Remain completely empty, like the entire week, except for a small hour on Sunday. And yet, I love the ministry that is happening here almost every single day of the week because Integrity Life has opened up their doors to share this space so that together this building is being leveraged for the kingdom of God. That's good news. Praise the Lord. So, what does this look like in your own life? Church, I'd say open up. Your home, if you can, open it up. Allow it to be used as a, a place for a life group. If you have a car, allow that car to, to be a car that could deliver the food that we pick up from the Puyallup Food Bank and deliver to the city of Milton. Allow the Lord to use you in these ways. If you're giving tithes or offerings, I'd say put a zero on the end of that number. Put it in the offering basket. Leverage your wealth. Leverage it to be an instrument, an effective, powerful instrument for the kingdom of God. And then I would just say this as well. When you do that, watch what happens. Watch what happens. Because he or she who can be trusted with a little... You can be trusted with much. Watch what happens. I was talking to one of the gentlemen from Integrity Life. He helps put together the meals on Thursday mornings. And he started talking to me a little little bit about some of this. And, man, he said something that really got me thinking. He said, as Christians, we are willing to give that 15 to 18% tip to our waiter or to a restaurant for our food. And yet we won't even give 10% to God. We will give 18% to a restaurant for what they have done for us. And by the way, I think we should. I, I think waiters deserve uh, every penny of that and the cooks and the, and the staff there. But we're willing to give them 18% for what they've done, but not even 10% for what God has done. That got me thinking, church. Got me thinking, church. We need to check our hearts. Can the Lord trust us? With what he's given us. Even Jesus himself in Luke 12. He says beware. Be on your guard. Against every form of greed. For not even. This is so good. For not even when one has an abundance. Does his life consist. Of his possessions. So not even when you have an abundance. Should your life. Be defined by what you have. So as Christians. Whether you're financially rich. Or financially poor. May our wealth never define us, right? Does that make sense? May our wealth never be our God, but again, instead be a tool for the kingdom of God. Remember, Jesus had all types of people following him. He had rich people, poor people following him. He had tax collectors, prostitutes, fishermen. He had an eclectic crew, but it wasn't about the amount of money that defined them. 
But it was their willingness, it was their heart to use it all to the glory of God. They could be trusted. And, and Lifespring, I just want you to hear this as your pastor. I love this about you. I believe that you can be trusted. I believe the Lord wanted you to hear that today, that you can be trusted. You keep giving. You keep blessing people in ways that just overwhelm and encourage my heart. I think you've given now like over $4,000 to help starving pastors throughout the world during COVID. Because of you and your giving, we've been able to help the MPCCC program that helps five school district kids and their families who are on the verge of homelessness. Because of you, we have a family in Kenya right now who are working to reconnect, to reconcile homeless children back to their family members and their parents. Right now, because of you, we're able to meet benevolence requests. We're able to meet not just benevolence requests here, but benevolence requests out in the community. And Kimberly, what you said, uh, that resonates with me. Church, if you need help, there's no judgment at all. Just let us know. We want to help you. Uh, We want to be there. Because of the generous giving of others, we can help you win those benevolence requests. Uh, Because of you, church, we can do things like, uh, this is one of the coolest things I think we get to do. We support, on a monthly basis, a Bible-based counselor. And because of our support and the support of other churches around the community, he gets to provide his services absolutely free. So money will never be an issue for anyone who wants counseling. Praise the Lord. And and I just love that video. For five years, on a monthly basis, we supported LifeSpring Ghana from 2014 to 2019. Again, somewhere around 18 branches in Ghana. And I, I just want to encourage you, it's because, in, in part, because of your generosity. I, I, we're, I mean, this is crazy, but we're sponsoring and being a part of a church plant happening in Salt Lake City. Don't you know that Salt Lake City needs some Jesus? And of course, you guys know how, how much you guys have given towards the church plant in Nine Mile Falls. I think total somewhere around, I mean, we're talking like in the $30,000, somewhere around there that we're giving to the Nine Mile Church plant to see God just reach that community like never before. Wow. God wants you to know he can trust you. By the way, one of my favorite parts in all of this, this is one of the coolest parts of being me, is when you will come up with an envelope I just love, I just so powerful. And you just say, hey, would you give this to so-and-so? And and don't tell them who it's from. Anonymous giving. It's one of my favorite things to do in the whole world. You guys come, I know, like I see the envelope. I know where this is is going to somebody. Hey, would you give it to so-and-so? And And don't tell them who it's from. That's because you have a generous heart. You've been set free in this area. And you're leveraging worldly wealth for the advancement of the kingdom of God. I just keep seeing it with my own eyes. And you might want to write this down. But for me, what that tells you and tells me is that you can't outgive God. Right? You can't outgive God. And when we keep using money in these life-giving, generous, cheerful ways, you know the picture I saw this week? It was like this large boulder that's at the edge of a cliff. A large boulder. And at first, it is hard to get that thing going. But once a large boulder starts going down the cliff, watch out. 
Right? Watch. You got to get out of the way because the momentum that begins to build, nothing is going to be able to stop that boulder. And church, I think it's the same way. I think God wants you to hear this. It's the same way with giving because it can be extremely hard at first. Anyone else recognize that? Generosity. It can actually be quite hard at first. But once you start going, once the momentum starts building, once your heart just gets cheerful and joy filled and excited about giving, uh, it kind of follows along what Jesus just said that he He who can be trusted with a little can be trusted with much. And I just want to say this. Praise the Lord. The boulder is moving at Life Spring Foursquare. I believe that, church. I believe that. We're moving with momentum. We're moving with momentum. By the way, that's a huge victory. Because in many ways, the hardest part of getting that boulder and the rolling is the very beginning. The hardest part of being with money. It's right at the beginning. So it's right at the beginning when you first are a church plant. It's right at the beginning when you're a teenager, when you're a college student. Right at the beginning when you're a young adult, when, when you actually feel like, man, well, I don't know if we have anything. We don't have enough, you know, even to keep the doors open. But in that moment, are you willing to live in such a way where God can trust you with his resources? So if you're making 200, guess what? You're given 20. At the beginning, these are those hard decisions. These are, it's like, again, like pushing the boulder. They're hard. And by the way, it's because you grew up in a culture that worships God or money as a God. A big part of breaking through that is because that's all you know. The commercials, the TV, the friends, the family members around you, everybody worshiping and living for money to break free from that. It's hard. But again, once that boulder starts rolling, watch out. Watch out. Watch out. Look at the momentum that's going to build. And I want to encourage you with this as well. That when it starts moving, I really believe that now you're free. You're just set free. I have so many people in this church that I could, by name, just say that are free in this area of giving. They're they're hilarious givers. They're cheerful givers. They're living a life of generosity and giving. But for some of you, and especially if you're younger, I would just say this. Start now. Start small, but start now and watch what happens. Those Pharisees, by the way, they're so stuck. I don't know if that boulder would ever start moving, right? I mean, they, 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 after he gives this incredible parable, and afterward, I mean, there's no way they're moving. In fact, at the end of it all, the Pharisees, it says, the Pharisees who loved money, they just sneered at Jesus. Like he gave them one of his best sermons, and they're just like, they're not moving. <laughs> Life spring, we're already moving. We're moving in ways that I think other churches only dream of moving. And as you guys know, I did my master's research on small church collaboration. And I found that many of the pastors that I interviewed, they were struggling, struggling to partner with the larger body of Christ. And I'm just being honest. A lot of it was because they were unwilling to invest the time, the equipment, and the money That is needed for collaboration to happen. Collaboration is costly. Like I'll hear people say, oh, isn't it great how, you know, Lifestream does all these things with other churches? No, like it is costly. It is hard. It does cost money. You have to be willing to uh, just be stubborn with your giving, stubborn with your cheerfulness, stubborn with your generosity. Because guess what? Helping others, you got to give and help others without expecting anything in return. 
It makes me think of the drive-in services here at the church. Many of you were a part of those drive-in services. We used an FM transmitter to broadcast those services into your car radio. But guess what? The first week we wanted to do a drive-in service, no transmitter. It was still shipping. Back then, everyone was trying to get a transmitter. But a generous church in Tacoma, a generous church, Puget Sound Foursquare, stepped in, and right away, they cheerfully, joyfully let us borrow theirs. So then when ours arrived, guess what I did? I began reaching out to other churches in the area. At one point, we were lending our equipment to three other churches all at the same time, lending to Integrity Life, lending to North Hill Adventist, lending to Mission Woods Presbyterian. And I'm thankful, church. I mean, it just fills my heart with joy. We didn't even think twice about giving or sharing. And, and in the last couple of years, we have given away an entire speaker system to a church. We've given away a, a soundboard to another church. We gave away this incredible, huge container to another church. We gave an entire portable stage to another church. That's just a sample of what we've given away because the boulder is moving. And it has filled us with so much joy, the devil himself cannot stop us. Ah, I just love it. But here's the thing. Now that we have the momentum, it's time to keep going. Keep the boulder rolling. No fear. It's always tempting to grab back that control. But no fear. No holding back. Keep moving forward. Use money. Use resources. Not as a God, but an instrument to be used for the kingdom of God. Pastor Joe, an amazing man, he's got some incredible sons over at Integrity Life. And they're out there in the parking lot throwing the football, dribbling the basketball around. We're like, hey, they need a a hoop. So we bought them a hoop. And it's for them, but you know who it's also for? It's for the youth that Braden said prophetically, we're going to fill up that field. Prophetically knowing that youth are coming to Jesus. And so we're able to buy that hoop. It gets me excited. In fact, I think I have a picture. Uh, It took... Four of us to put it together. Not even joking. That thing was crazy. But money is not our God. It's an instrument. It is not our God. You might want to write that out. It is not our God. It is an instrument. You know that God has given us big dreams here at LifeSpring. You know that we want to plant several LifeSpring churches throughout this region. Because we believe that every community, how big or small, should have a life-giving church that exists to love God and to love people. But we believe that dream is from the Lord. And if it's from the Lord, then he's going to give us the resources and he's going to give us the provision to fulfill that dream. Again, who can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. The Lord has told me this a few times lately, that this spirit of giving, that it is a strength at LifeSpring. But just because it's a strength doesn't mean that we should be coasting. It's so important. Have you ever done that with your strength? Well, like, you know, okay, you know, no, the Lord says, press into that. Press into that. If it's a strength, utilize the strength. Be sensitive, eyes open, ears open to what that means moving forward. And would this only be the beginning? Like, wouldn't it be just incredible if we were like, oh, yeah, like, you know, we, we thought we were, but just then like 2021, like, oh, and then 2012. Oh, do you remember the 2030s? Like, oh, But what about you? As I close, I, I, I just say, what about you? Where, where are you at with all this? I love preaching because I always get to preach it to myself first. You know, where am I at? Where are we at? Personally, in your own life, in your own finances. Are you walking in freedom or are you stuck? 
If you're married, if you're sitting here together, are you on the same page? This is so important. Is generosity and giving, is it a staple of your marriage? If it isn't, are you willing to seek help? Pastor Joe said that I had the gift of giving and I just laughed because I was the guy 15 years ago who had to meet with a pastor every week because I struggled so much with giving. I was afraid I had to truly trust the Lord. I was afraid so I was holding on instead of letting go. But are you willing to let the Lord stretch you in this area? I'm telling you, as someone who has found so much freedom, it's worth putting in the work. It's worth it. It's worth taking a Dave Ramsey class. It's worth creating a budget. It's worth meeting with a pastor. It's worth asking someone to pray for you. Put in the work. Allow the Lord to set you free, right? To give you courage, to give you bravery, to be a cheerful giver. Because look, this is what Jesus says. He finishes by saying this. Verse 13, it's so important. Listen to what he says. Because no one can serve two masters. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And then verse 14, after giving this powerful teaching with the power to set us free from the God of money, this is the response of the Pharisees who are listening. Verse 14. Pharisees who loved money, they heard all this. They were sneering at Jesus. They said, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others. But God knows your heart. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. Lord Jesus, we need your help. In so many ways, we need your help because we live in a world that is so fixated on mammon, so consumed by this God who promises satisfaction, promises fulfillment, and yet every time disappoints. And Lord, forgive us for the times that you've stirred us to be generous, and yet we did not obey. Forgive us for the times and the checkout line at Safeway or on the trail as we walked our dog. Lord, we we knew that you were calling us and asking us to be generous, to be cheerful in our giving, and yet we did not obey. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us, Lord. thank you so much for your grace that's in this place today that even in those areas where we've fallen short you you again by your spirit are calling us to a life of generosity that we're not defined by our past mistakes but we're defined by the blood of jesus and so we rise up today and we say yes i I will live a life i commit my life to be generous that i wouldn't worship money as a god but i would use it as a tool for the advancement of your kingdom And again, Lord, any area where I've kind of put it up on a pedestal and and tried really hard to protect it and defend it and as if I was God, as if I was in control, Lord, forgive us for that. But right now, some of us are just saying, I'm done. That was exhausting anyway, so I'm just letting go. I'm, I'm letting go. And I'm trusting in you, Jesus.
Church, even as I'm praying, I just feel that the Lord is speaking to some of us very specifically on an individual basis. He's even bringing things to mind right now that are so specific and detailed to your situation. And I think all he's asking you is to invite him back into that situation. That he's, he's just saying, invite me back into your finances. Stop pushing me out, child. Stop pushing me out, son. Stop pushing me out, daughter. Stop compartmentalizing your life. Let me in to every area of your life. That I would be God even of your finances. And maybe even as he's speaking, some of you maybe just need to open your hands in a posture of receiving. But some of you it's receiving, some of you it's letting go. It's just a posture that says, I am no longer in control. I am no longer here to defend and protect my money for my needs. But I'm letting go that everything I have would be used for the advancement of your kingdom. We're letting go today, Jesus. We're letting go. As we close this prayer time, if there's anyone here today who does not have a relationship with Jesus, who doesn't know what it means to be saved from your sins, doesn't know what it means to be forgiven of your sins and to receive eternal life with Jesus, if you would like to do that, if you'd like to commit your life to him, to where he would be truly God of every area of your life, including your finances. If that's you, would you just make that bold declaration by raising your hand so that I know who you are? For anyone here who would want to commit their life to living for greater purposes, a greater plan. Absolutely. Amen. A greater plan, greater purposes. Lord Jesus, this window is so short. It's so very short. And yet we are committed right now in this holy, sacred moment to commit our lives, the rest of our days, to the advancement of your kingdom. May many people come to know you as the church rises up in cheerful giving and generosity and may be a boulder that no one not even Satan himself can stop hallelujah <laughs> and amen amen praise the Lord